Welcome to Hope Community Church of Hickory. We are so glad you decided to join us online. Make sure and hit the follow and notification buttons to keep up to date with all of our sermons. Here is our latest message. Amen. Lord, some praise. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 50 with me today. And... uh, Goodness, where all you people come from? <laughs> we started the worship set. There was like seven people in here. <laughs> it's great to see you. <laughs> Glad you're here. But uh, Psalm chapter 50, today's going to be a little bit different as um, we're finishing up our series that we've entitled Encounter. We, we uh, entitled this series Encounter because I read a quote a long time ago that said, the goal of worship is to encounter God. The whole reason why we gather together, the whole reason why we sing the songs that we sing and we do church the way that we do it is because we are people that are desperate to encounter God and God loves to encounter his people. And throughout this series, we've been breaking down the various Hebrew words for praise that are found in the Old Testament. So just to recap, we had the word halal. This is where we get the word hallelujah. It means to shine, to celebrate, to be foolish, because there are going to be times in your life and in your walk of faith Whenever your praise may feel foolish to you or may look foolish to those in the eyes of the world, but that should never deter us from giving God the praise that he deserves. We also studied the word yada. It means to revere or worship with extended hands, to hold out the hands, also to throw a stone or to shoot an arrow. This is intentional, directional, aiming our praise directly at our God talked about the word shabak, which means to, to praise publicly, to laud, to address in a loud tone. And our definition that we work from was to passionately praise in public. Remember, your, your relationship with God is personal, but it's never private. We are to praise him in public. Also, we studied the word barak, literally means to praise, to bless God as an act of adoration, to kneel or to salute. And the definition we work from was barak is giving God your deepest love and utmost respect. And then we had Caleb Blanton from Hope Shelby come and, and teach us on praise a couple weeks ago, and he talked about the word zamar, which means to make music, to celebrate in song with musical instruments. And then last week, we didn't break it down in the sermon portion of the service, but Jalisa and Haley and Jenny, they led us in practicing tehillah, which means a song of praise, a new song, a spontaneous song. So all of these are commands in Scripture. These are the reasons why we sing songs in church. It's why we gather together as a community of believers to praise Him together. It's why we stand when we sing the songs. It's why we posture ourselves in certain ways. It's why you see hands raised during the songs. It's why we have amens and hallelujahs. It's why Chavis will preach back to me while I'm preaching during the service, right? Because God deserves our consistent, passionate, public praise. And today we're going to conclude this series with one last Hebrew word for praise, and that is the word tauda. It literally means an extension of the hand, a confession a sacrifice of praise, or thanksgiving. This word gives us another very important aspect to our praise because this word is used 32 times throughout the Old Testament, and 18 of those times it is translated as thanksgiving, which tells me that gratitude and praise are intrinsically linked together. If our praise does not lead us to a place of gratefulness, 
we're probably not worshiping. We're probably just going through the motions. When we gather together on Sunday mornings, if we do not leave this place more grateful for who our God is and what he's done for us, we probably hadn't properly had church. And we see the word tauda used in Psalm 50, verse 23. We're just going to look at this one verse today. Y'all know me. I normally like to take a big old chunk of scripture and just take down the entire story, but that's not how God led today. We have this one verse in scripture, Psalm 50, verse 23. God says through the psalmist, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. The one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Would you pray with me one more time? We'll get into this a little bit further. Oh, Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus by the power of your spirit to ask you to bless this time that we have together. Thank you so much for these moments where we get to gather together as a community around your word. And I pray that in this moment, all the distractions and the stress of life would cease as we focus on you and your goodness and your glory and your love. I thank you. We don't have to ask you to fill this room. We know by the power of your Holy Spirit, you're already here. So we ask that we would be made more aware of your presence. I pray that you completely fill me, shake me, guide me, Lord, because I know without your truth, without your love behind it, I have, without your power, I can't say anything of any significance or importance this morning. So I pray for, and I ask for the the gift of teaching, the gift of preaching, because those are of you. Nothing can be manufactured on my own. I pray that you bless this time that we have together. Let us see Jesus a little bit more clearly than we ever have before, because we know if we see Jesus, we will never be the same. And I pray we would leave this place grateful for who you are and all you've done for us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for who we get to be in you. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. And all God's people said... Amen. I'm not sure if you've noticed this or not, but human beings aren't naturally born as very thankful individuals. You know, you don't see a newborn baby coming out of the womb saying, oh, thank you so much for getting me out of there. I'm free. No, you see the baby wailing and screaming. They're mad at you from taking them from the only warm and cozy, comfy home they've ever known. They're like little Israelites trying to go back to Egypt. Gratitude is not a natural thing to us as human beings. It has to be taught. And sometimes it can be a very difficult lesson to teach. I know Rachel's dad had a difficult time teaching his daughter that lesson. (laughs) It's all right. It's coming leading into a story here, Miriam. Don't get so offended. Rachel will be the very first one to tell you as a child she could be a bit of a handful. And there was one point in time in her life when she was about fifth or sixth grade, she was, she was going through a stint being very ungrateful, and her dad would start to tell her, if you don't start being grateful, you can go live in the children's home. <laughs> and he would say that over and over again. Rachel didn't pay any mind. She's like, yeah, right. You're not going to send me to the children's home. I'm Rachel, right? And then <laughs> she didn't pay him any mind <laughs> until one day she was being particularly ungrateful. And he said, he got fed up. He said, that's it pack a bag. I'm calling my buddy. You know I got a buddy that works at the children's home. I'm calling my buddy. You are going to live at the children's home today. He took her to a room, made her pack a bag, and she got all the way to the front door before she finally broke and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll be grateful. I promise I'll be thankful. Now, would I encourage other fathers to teach their kids that lesson the same way? Probably not, but he did something right because Rachel turned out to be a fantastic individual, right? Amen? Can you say that, Miriam? Is that okay? (laughs) 
But gratitude and thanksgiving are not things that we are naturally prone to. Normally, there needs to be something broken within us before we begin to appreciate the things that we have. And I think these are some of the reasons why the word taudah is considered a sacrifice of praise. Remember in Psalm 50, 23, it said, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. The language of this intrigues me because the language is so strong. I don't know about you, but I normally don't put praise, thanksgiving, and gratitude in the same category as sacrifice. Because that word sacrifice in the original language, it means to slaughter, to kill, to slay, which is to say that in order for us to offer the praise and thanksgiving that God deserves, something within us needs to be slaughtered, killed, or slain. It makes me think of Different verses in the New Testament, such as Jesus saying, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Or Paul saying, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Again, in Galatians, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, have slaughtered the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. So my question is, what are some practical things that we are sacrificing in ourselves whenever we truly praise God? Because I don't think it would be theologically correct to say we need to be sacrificing certain things in order to praise God or before we praise God because that would lead us to a place of thinking there's something we could do to earn our way to God in which we can't. We are granted access to God in his presence solely through his grace alone and his love for us. But I do believe that whenever we are truly praising God, there are things within our flesh that are being sacrificed as we set ourselves and our agendas aside and focus on him and his greatness. And here are a couple things that I believe we sacrifice in ourselves whenever we are praising God. First, when we praise, we sacrifice our ego. Now, we as human beings, we have a tendency to think very highly of ourselves. We have a tendency to want to be our own God. We're prone to think that we know what's best for ourselves. Even we as Christians, we, we have a tendency to think that we can be good enough on our own. We think we impress God sometimes. We think God's up in heaven saying, whoa, Chase just prayed for 10 minutes straight. Are you kidding me? I haven't known of eternity. I haven't ever seen anything like this. Moses, Elijah, get over here. Matt, he just read two whole chapters of scripture. This is amazing. I can't believe what I'm seeing right now. Now, not to say that God isn't proud of us, because he is. But the only thing that impresses God is his son. That's why it's impossible to please God without faith, because it's impossible to please God without Jesus. And Colossians tells us whenever we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our lives are then hidden in him. That means when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sins and your faults and your failures. He doesn't see your good deeds or your so-called righteous acts. He sees the completed work of his son, and that is what he's pleased with, and that is what he is impressed with. Apart from Jesus, we are nothing, and we have nothing. And whenever we come before a holy, righteous, perfect God to praise him, all we should be is overwhelmed with gratitude that he would provide a way for someone as lowly as me to be welcomed into his presence. It reminds me of the parable that Jesus once told in Luke 18. It says, Jesus also told this parable to some of who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. 
He said, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, whenever we humble ourselves before Almighty God, there's no room for our ego. Whenever we posture ourselves before the real God, not our idea of God, but the real God, we are quickly humbled before his holiness. And any thoughts of us complaining about what we think we deserve completely vanish because for our second point, when we praise, we sacrifice our entitlement. I cannot tell you how many times I've caught myself complaining to God about what I think he should be doing. And, and because I've been doing this, God, I've been doing that, God, so I deserve this and I deserve that. And then I have a moment kind of like Job did in Job 38 through 40 when God asked him, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you explored the springs from which the sea come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know so much. And I love this one here. He said, who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Translation, who gave you the ability to even question me in the first place? <laughs> if you ever find yourself really frustrated with God, and you will, we all will at certain times, we'd be very wise in those seasons to go back and read Job's 38, 39, and 40. And then God finishes up this monologue in chapter 40 when he says, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You're God's critic, but do you have the answers? And I guarantee you, if we come about that with the right heart, we will be quickly humbled and respond something similar to Job did whenever he said, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. You know, I've said it before that there seem to be two words that almost completely characterize and define our current generation in our country today, and that is entitlement and victimization. Never before in any of our lifetimes have people been more entitled and people love to victimize themselves more. Why is that? Because we've never been so individualistic before. Everything is about me, how I can get better, how I can better further my cause and my agenda and my opinion. And we, you know, we even do it with church. We as Christians, we do this with church all the time. I've seen it so, uh, so often over the past year. You know, people would ask about our church, and more often than not, people are asking these questions because they're more worried if we will fit in with their preferences or not, right? How many, how many times have you heard people talk about church? Like, ah, oh, I didn't really like that. I don't really prefer that. No, I prefer more of a traditional style. I prefer more of a contemporary style. Now, I'm not talking about the big theological issues that are very important and that if off, it could be detrimental to the gospel being spread in and through our church. Like, I'm not talking about those issues because I may three times over the past year actually got asked questions about those things. Everything else was, what's the vibe? Right? But I think we need less Christians seeking their preferences and more Christians seeking where they can serve. 
whether it's here in our church body or somebody else, because I don't know about you, but I would much rather have a small group of servants than a room full of critics. Because the church body should be a community of believers that constantly remind each other how much we have to be thankful for and how great our God is. Because it's so easy to become entitled in our culture because we have it so easy. So instead of becoming grateful, we just become critical. You think the believers gathering together and worship in Israel today are nitpicking the worship styles? You think the the underground church in China is worried about arguing about their systems and business agendas or petty theological differences? I don't think so. But even when it puts their very livelihoods on the line, they still crave to gather together and praise their God in the midst of their afflictions. They are so desperate for God, they don't have any time for entitlement. And what if we spent more time praising God and giving thanks for the religious freedoms that we enjoy rather than feeding our entitlement and our egos? Because the more we give thanks for what we've been given, the more we give thanks for what we've been saved from, the less time we have for complaining and nitpicking personal preferences. And Christians, we need each other. This is why you need a church family to keep our hearts in check whenever it comes to this issue. Because I promise you, 9.9 times out of 10, the ones who deal with entitlement and victimization the most are the ones that isolate themselves the most. I can testify. The season of my life where I, was, where I never felt more sorry for myself or more entitled to my opinion was during the COVID-19 quarantine. Why? Because I wasn't spending time around other people. I wasn't actively involved in their lives. I was more isolated than I'd ever been before in my life. Now, most of the time, the people that are isolating themselves, they don't think they're isolating themselves. Why? Because they're active on social media. You know, they have their family. They go to work. They may see people around, but they're not actively involved in anybody else's life. They're not seeing the reality of what other people are experiencing and what they're going through and appreciating the pain that other people are experiencing in their lives, so instead they just glorify their own. This is exactly why the Bible commands us to be involved in each other's lives. Paul says in Romans, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Why is Paul so adamant about this? Because whenever we are genuine in love and competing and honoring each other, whenever we're focusing on serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, being constant in prayer and taking care of the needs of others, whenever we are intentionally seeking ways to be hospitable to one another, we will kill entitlement in our lives and become genuinely grateful individuals. And I'll tell you, we'll be much more pleasant people to be around as well. Paul also says in verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Paul says we should never see ourselves as higher or better than anyone else. We are merely sinners saved by grace, the same as anyone else, just experiencing the grace and mercy that we never deserved. And we should never think that we got something figured out. <laughs> That's why for our third point today, when we praise, we sacrifice our expectations. I'm reminded of a story, I'm pretty sure I've shared it before, but there's an old story, famous story that I've heard before about a man who got shipwrecked. 
and he's by himself, all by himself in the middle of the ocean. He begins to pray hard with so much faith and so much expectation that God is going to save him. A little while later, a boat comes by. They see him. They try to throw him a life preserver. He says, no, I don't need you. God will save me. I got faith. I'm expecting. A little while later, uh, a plane comes by. Right? It was one of those water planes that lands on there right near him. Say, hey, come on. He said, oh, I don't need you. God will save me. I have faith. A little while later, a helicopter comes by, spots him in the middle of the ocean. They drop one of those rope ladders down to him, and he says, I don't need your rope. My God will save me. Well, the guy drowned, <laughs> and he gets up to heaven. And he said, God, I was praying. I had so much faith. I was expecting you to move. What happened? Why didn't you save me? God says, I tried. I sent you a boat, a plane, and a helicopter, and you wouldn't get on any one of them. <laughs> No, our expectations can be the death of us. How many times do we miss out on exactly what God is blessing us with because we're more focused on our preconceived notions of what we think he should be blessing us with or what those blessings should look like? Man, I, I know so many people nowadays, we feel like we want to have a negotiation with God before we commit to him. We'll say, okay, God, I'll give you my life if you do this for me. But the reality is we have no negotiating power with God. We have nothing to bring to the table that will make him any more perfect and holy than he already is. There's nothing we could ever do to add any more value to him. But in his love and his grace and his mercy, he offers us everything when we have nothing to give. And the truth of that should cause us to give thanks and praise and just pursue him for who he is. Christians should be the most thankful people on the planet because he's offered us salvation. He's offered us death to life in Christ. He sent his son, his only son, whom he loved, allowed him to be sacrificed on the cross for our sins so he could be covered in his blood and we're welcomed into the family of God. We think we deserve something more. We don't even deserve that. But many Christians get so messed up theologically because we focus more on what God will do, what he might do, what he thinks he should do, rather than focusing on what he's already done. And when we take the time to praise him and give thanks for what he's already done, we will throw our expectations out the window and just appreciate him and trust that he knows best. And he's working all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Our praise and thanksgiving helps put this vapor of a life into perspective especially in difficult times. C.S. Lewis, he was once asked what the best way to deal with pain was. And he responded it was a matter of perspective. He said, if you have two groups of people staying in a building and one group thinks they're in a hotel, well, they might be miserable thinking their situation isn't up to their standards. However, if the other group thinks that they're in a prison, well, they might find their situation rather comfortable. You know, most of the misery in our lives comes from us viewing this life as more than it is thinking that this life is the end-all, be-all. But the reality is, this life is nothing but a holding cell. This world is not our home. This life is but a vapor in the context of eternity. So the only expectation I need to have is the expectation of heaven. The confident hope that when the struggle and the pain of this life is over, there is a home waiting for me in glory where sorrow will be no more and I get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all thanks to what Jesus did on my behalf. And if that is my main hope and my main expectation, I will be better equipped to maintain a posture of praise and gratitude no matter what this life holds. 
That's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to be in the will of God? Paul tells us very clearly, give thanks in all circumstances, and you will be firmly planted in the will of God. Did you get a raise or a promotion? Give thanks that God blessed you with that new opportunity and do it for his glory. You have a child on the way? Give thanks that God has blessed you with the opportunity to raise a child made in his image for his glory. No, Rachel and I do not have a child on the way. I know. Just want to let you know. <laughs> Did you get a new car? Give thanks that God is providing your needs. Did you lose a loved one? Give thanks that there is a life after this one that's so much greater. Are you having financial troubles? Give thanks that God is your provider and will never leave you or forsake you. Are you experiencing heartache? Give thanks that you have a God that is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Are you overwhelmed by the state of this world and the evil within it? Give thanks that Jesus is coming back and he will set up a new heaven and a new earth. We are to give thanks in all circumstances and whenever we do, we stay within the will of God. Why? Because when we give thanks in all circumstances, we glorify him above all circumstances. One of the things I love most about this word, tauda, let's look at the definition here again. I love the fact that extension of the hand is associated with thanksgiving because it almost gives us a physical picture of giving our praise to God. It's an intentional act on our part to dig deep and find that gratitude and hand it over to God. Now, I spent the past week and a half with Rachel and her family. You know, whether we were at the hospital or at our cousin's golf tournament, just out and about, I was reminded how much stuff women can fit in their purses. <laughs> it's astounding. Literally anything you need, you just ask. Someone's got it in their purse. Rachel calls it their Mary Poppins bags. Right? <laughs> and it's like these purses contain a snack bar, a pharmacy, electronics department, a clothing section. You need a spare tire, they'll probably pull one out and give it to you. <laughs> but whatever you ask for, they just... They dig around that purse long enough, they're going to find it, dig it out, and hand it over to you. <laughs> and for some reason, this is whatever came to my mind. <laughs> for some reason, this is whatever came to my mind whenever I was thinking about what it's like to give thanks. Because so often we have so many emotions and frustrations and fears and thoughts and conflicting feelings swirling all around based on the varying life circumstances. But the Bible tells us that we're still supposed to sift through all of that and find some thanks deep down within us and bring that to the top and give it over to God. As for our last point for today, giving thanks is an action, not an attitude. I think we probably heard over and over again, we as parents have probably said it over and over again, have an attitude of gratitude. Have an attitude of gratitude. Well, sometimes I don't have an attitude of gratitude. Sometimes I don't feel like having an attitude of gratitude. Sometimes I'm feeling frustrated. Sometimes I'm feeling sad. Sometimes I'm feeling anxious. Sometimes I'm feeling like I'm in over my head. Everything's going wrong, and I just don't feel grateful. But you know, you don't have to feel grateful to give thanks. We give thanks in spite of what we're feeling. We have to dig deep throughout all of the mess and find that gratitude and give him a sacrifice of praise as we sacrifice our ego, our entitlement, and our expectations. Because if we don't, what's the alternative? 
but who is constantly be defeated, wallowing in self-pity and entitlement and victimization, will allow our afflictions to destroy us rather than reminding ourselves of the hope that we have. And this is such a difficult thing to live out. I don't pretend not to know that. This is why this requires a sermon, because it's so contrary to how we feel most of the time, especially when times get dark and the pain piles on. I got to see this lived out over the past week and a half. And thank you all so much for those um, who've been, all your prayers, love, support for Rachel and her family and our family. uh, Her papa passed last week, on Thursday before last. And um, if you're not familiar with what was going on, um, old Malcolm, he was going through some treatment that we knew was going to be tough. Um, But no one, not even the doctors, expected to be life-threatening at all. But during the treatment, just a complete freak accident, he caught a very rare form of pneumonia. And because of the treatment he was, he was receiving, his immune system was depleted, and there was nothing the doctors could do to help him. So it was very unexpected. It didn't just only shake the family, but also shook the entire community in which he lived. It was evident at the funeral on Tuesday. At Tuesday at 2 p.m., upwards of 500 people showed up to honor him. And when I got the call the day before, and then told me, and then uh, Rachel's dad told me he wasn't going to make it. I started praying so hard. Because you know, later I would learn that during his treatment, when the doctors would ask him what he was fighting for during his treatment, he'd say, I got a great grandson named Fletcher. That's who I'm fighting for. And in my prayers, I'd be specifically praying, Lord, not like this. <laughs> no. Malcolm Myers is one of the strongest men that anyone has ever known. No, no, he's supposed to live long enough for Fletcher to remember him. He's supposed to live long enough to take Fletcher fishing and to take him hunting because I'm not going to do those things. I'm an inside dog. (laughs) (laughs) And I know what's in Fletcher's blood because he gets it from his mama's side. And I don't know if I trust Rachel's brother to take him out by himself to do those things yet. No, Paul Paul's supposed to be doing those things, Lord. But the Lord didn't grant those requests. And that Thursday morning as he was taking off the respirators and just waiting for the end before I had to leave the hospital to go pick up Fletcher. I went over to Nana just to hug her, just to encourage her one more time. And she grabbed my hand. She said, no, I'm just so grateful for our family and the life we built together. She said, I'm grateful for the time that we had. Later on, she'd say, I'm grateful Fletcher got to meet him. And he got to meet Fletcher. And here I am frustrated and mad because thinking of all the time they're not going to have together and Nana's finding the way to give thanks for the time they did have together. I'm telling you, there's power in that kind of praise. Now don't get me wrong, it's a roller coaster for her. She has her moments of asking why. She has her moments of asking what now. She did not want to go home by herself to the house she shared with him for almost six decades. She feels the brokenness, she feels the heartache, but through it all, she still digs deep and finds a way to give thanks through it all. And the morning after waking up in her house for the first time without him beside her, in 58 years they spent together, we saw her that morning. She had a little pep in her step, old Nana. Most of you have met Nana. (laughs) She's a character. She had a little pep in her step. She hadn't had that in weeks, and she said, you know, God gave me a gift this morning. So the first thing God told me when my eyes opened up, he said, don't focus on your loss. Focus more on his gain. 
And that's something she's going to have to dig deep and remind herself on a regular basis as the roller coaster continues for the foreseeable future. But she has hope to cling to and thanks to give throughout it all. So tell me, what, what do you need to give thanks for today? Because if we cannot be consistent in giving thanks now, it will be so much harder to do so when those dark and heavy seasons come. And I'll tell you where we need to start. We need to start in being consistent, first and foremost, in giving thanks for the cross. Giving thanks for the lengths that Jesus went to in order that we could have hope beyond this broken world. This is one of the reasons why we've been given the gift and the tradition of communion. As Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, even Jesus, knowing everything that's about to happen to him, knowing that Judas is about to betray him, knowing that in a few short hours he's going to have those thorns buried into his skull, his body whipped to a bleeding pulp, and suffocate to death on his own blood, knowing everything he's about to go through. Yet he took the time, and he gave thanks. And he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Lisa and Jenny, you're going to sing a song, and I'm going to ask that you uh, stay seated where you are. The mats are going to... Uh Thank you so much for listening. If you want to share what you heard this week, make sure and tag at hope underscore HKY on Instagram or Hope Hickory on Facebook. If you want to partner with our ministry, you can give online at hopehickory.org.